All right, we are uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And like I said, it is our goal to finish this section tonight. All right, let me read it to you. For this very reason, Peter has says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, what we're going to be looking at tonight, the last two qualities we're going to be looking at that Peter wants us to add to our faith is going to be brotherly kindness and, to, and love. Uh, we're going to start, though, with brotherly kindness. Now, in order for us to really kind of break this down and look at it, we need to talk about the fact that life is about relationships. Uh, I wanted to spend some time dealing with that tonight. Uh, whether you realize it or not, you are here on this planet because of a relationship. You live and breathe because a man and a woman had a relationship. On top of that, we're born into relationships. We're born into families. And when we get saved, God puts us in another relationship, another family, God's family. Uh, if you even do any studies of babies that are nurtured and held and cared for versus babies that are kind of in an orphanage sometimes and left and not touched. Those who are touched and cared for, they thrive as opposed to those who aren't. We have been designed by God for relationships. Satan, though, loves to destroy relationships. Satan's desire is to break people apart and dissension, factions, envy, strife, broken relationships abound. And so in order for us to really grasp what God wants us to get tonight from our study of brotherly kindness, you have to kind of have that foundation of the fact of you have been created by God for relationships. And that needs to be the foundation of what we look at. All right. Um, on top of that, I want to take you to, to something that God showed me literally Sunday night. Go put a bookmark here in Second Peter and go to Hebrews chapter 10. As I, for those of you that know, I just finished doing a mission tour with 60-something kids on a, uh, in a choir, and there were 19, 20 adults, so just shy of 90-something of us in this traveling group. They went to West Virginia, did a mission trip, and uh, two Greyhound buses, a minibus, and a trailer. Uh, praise God, we all survived the whitewater rafting. It was actually a week ago today that we had gone down the New River Gorge, and uh, I really enjoyed it. Probably won't ever do it again. <laughs> My wife says that I will, but I don't know. I, just, I haven't prayed that much in my entire life, folks. I'm not kidding you. We survived, but she, it, was, it was a four. It was a four. Uh, class four river, and uh, someone had actually died on that river in the previous week. Uh, and with all those kids, we were praying that they all made it off the, off the river. And there were a lot of wipeouts and a lot of people, and we, we were the rescue boat, which added to things. But praise the Lord, I, I did swim in the river, but on my own volition, not, a, not the, boat's choice, the boat's choice. But as the traveling preacher for this group, I would preach at different churches and different venues where they were performing. And each time I would just say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want us to go? And I would sit there and pray. And I had to do it again in the last concert on Sunday night back at our church at First Merritt Island. And as I sat there saying, Lord, what does he want me to bring as the final message to the young people and to the church? I was sitting there in the dark because they had concert stage lighting and I was using my cell phone as a flashlight, you know, trying to just kind of prayerfully look through the scriptures. And as the Lord, Lord led me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, a word jumped out at me that I had never seen in verses 24 and 25 and mainly at the beginning of verse 24. I had never seen the word and. 
Look what it says in Hebrews 10, 24. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And it hit me as I was sitting there, wow, I had never seen the word and. And so I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just an NIV thing. For those of you that don't know this, the NIV is not a word for word translation. It's a thought for thought. And they do a great job in most of the scriptures. There's a couple places that I would wrestle with them over some things, but for the most part, they would do a real good job. But I wanted to make sure that I wasn't looking at a word that really wasn't in the original text. And so I took my phone, the benefit of these phones, and I pulled up my Bible on it and I checked. Verse 24 starts with and in the King James. It starts with the word and in the New King James. It starts with the word and in the Holman. All, so I realized this is, a, this is a word here that God put there. And as you know, the word and is a conjunction. It ties things together. So then I said, well, what's, tie, what's it tying together? And it totally surprised me what it was tying together with not forsaking our assembling together and encouraging one another. It was tying together verses 19 through 23 with that. Listen to what it says. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And, do you see that? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. For all my years, and I've been preaching for almost 30 years now, I have never tied the two together. I've always preached that first part about how Jesus' sacrifice has made it possible for us to go into the throne of God, and we can approach Him boldly. And I've also preached from the other section on the importance of being together and not forsaking the assembling of ourselves. I had never tied the two together until Sunday night in the dark when God had that word and jump off the page. And it started to hit me as the Spirit was just kind of giving me a direction of where He wanted me to go. We have been given a wonderful gift through what Jesus has done so we can go boldly to God. But you will miss out on a large part of what God has designed for you through Jesus Christ if you just think, well, I'm going to worship Him myself. You have been created for relationships and please don't hear this as a heretical statement. This is, this is just biblical truth. Hear what, what it is. If you just say, well, I'm just going to worship God by myself, you won't have all that God has designed for you. I'm not poo-pooing Jesus' sacrifice. I'm not poo-pooing what Christ has done. But I want you to understand that this scripture, under the Holy Spirit of God's direction, says he's made it possible for you to go straight into God's throne. And you also have to be in relationship with each other. And so as we take a look at brotherly kindness, we have to deal with the fact that our flesh doesn't like relationships sometimes. We crave it, but we don't want it. When things go bad in our life, our tendency is to do what? It's to pull away, isn't it? You, 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 when things go bad, you have a tendency to just kind of isolate yourself and pull yourself away. And so what we need to do now is take a look at what this word means. Go back to 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 again. This word brotherly kindness is the Greek word Philadelphia. It's the word Philadelphia. It actually, that's what it is in the Greek, Philadelphia. And it literally means to have tender affection toward your brothers. Other way you could put it, it would be to cherish, to highly regard to think well of fellow believers. Listen to me say that again, because I want to take go with some go with it in the direction here. So we are to have tender affection towards your brothers. You're to cherish, you're to highly regard, and to think well of fellow believers. Folks, I want you to understand this is a lot more than simply stomaching someone. You understand what I'm saying? This is deeper than just stomaching someone. Too often in the church I've heard someone say, Well, I'm only supposed to love them. I'm not supposed to like them. You ever heard people say that? Jesus tells us to love each other, not like each other. That is not biblically true. When those people say that, you need to correct them and love and say that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are to have brotherly kindness. We are actually to think well of each other. We're to think highly of each other. We're to cherish each other. And that's way more than just loving them. That is liking them and thinking well of them. I don't think it's any accident either, though, that brotherly kindness comes after godliness. Remember last time we met, 
Godliness is a Godward attitude, a hungering for God, a thirsting for God. And I don't think it's an accident that brotherly kindness is the next quality. Because when you have a true hunger and thirst for God, you will manifest God's heart, which is brotherly kindness. All right? But you know what? How many times have we seen someone praising God in a worship service only to have them complain about someone or gossip about someone on the way out? How often have we seen gifted preachers who berate the people on their staff? They'd be powerful preachers, men of the word, and they, people love to hear them preach. But behind the scenes, they're violent, argumentative, controlling. Bible does say that people will treat each other worse and worse as we get closer to the end. And I want you to take a look at that. Put a bookmark here and go with me to 2 Timothy 3. Look at verses 1 through 5. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, then Paul goes on and says, have nothing to do with them. Folks, as we're in this process now of making every effort to add to our faith these qualities, I want you to understand that God is challenging us, myself included, to make every effort to add to your faith brotherly kindness. That means you don't say, well, I'm going to like so-and-so and I'm going to like that person, but I'm not going to like that person if there are people that push your buttons the scripture says you need to make every effort to what? Live at peace with all men to manifest kindness toward them. And we're going to get into some specifics of that in just a second. Is he talking here about within the church? He's talking here within the church. No, oh, oh in, in, in 2 Timothy 3? No, he's talking about in the world. And I'm glad you brought that out. But in this day and age, once the world will get worse and worse and worse, this is the time when the church should be shining. Because of our love one for another. Remember Jesus himself said by this, John 13, 35, 34 and 35. Actually in verse 34 he said this command I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. And then he says by this all men will know that you're my disciples. By the fact that you look different from the world. By your love for one another. The sad thing is as the world will continue to get worse and worse in these days that we're in, in which hatred and discord and all. I don't know how many of you even know this. I read this today. There was a man from West Virginia who was traveling the country doing a study about whether or not people were treating each other kindly anymore. He was in Montana and he was shot in a local diner while he was traveling on this study to do a study of kindness in America and whether or not people treat each other civil anymore. And while he was doing his research, he was shot in a, in a diner in Montana. No, he lived, but he was shot in the arm. Can you explain verse 5, the form of the, the form of, yes. Well, let me explain to you. The question was, can you explain the part of form of godliness denying its power? It's kind of like what I just talked about with those people who appear to be praising God in church service, but then gossip about everybody all the way home. They appear to be godly, but you don't see the power of God in the changed life. You know what I'm saying? As you're going to see at the end of our study, that could mean you're not saved. It could mean that you just don't realize who's in you and how to let him have control. It's going to be one of the two as we'll take a look at that. But there are those, and that's what we're looking at in this study is, that's why he's saying make every effort to add to your faith because it will help you know whether or not Christ is in you. But there will be those in the church who appear to be godly, but you never see the power of God in their lives. The re religious but not relational. Judas. Go ahead, Chris. In the RSV there says... Uh having a form of religion. Yep, it's a good way to describe it. It's a good way to describe it. Go ahead, Bill. It talks about lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, so it must be people who have 
Well, well, and yes, at the same time, and no, it's both. It's really talking about in the world, but at the same time, it's also talking about those that will be in the church in the same way. It's kind of covering all of that. And as you know, the world's in the church. There's weeds among the wheat. And so you can't really separate the two in that sense. But yes, there will be those in the church. And like I say, the Bible says, remember the parable of the weeds and the wheat? Uh, they went out and they say, women, didn't you sow good seed in your field? And he said, yeah. Well, how come there's weeds among the wheat? Well, my enemy did this. Well, do you want us to go separate the two? No, it's not our job to separate the weeds and the wheat in the church. But understand, folks, there's going to be weeds in the church. People that claim to be Christians who truly aren't. But that's one of the ways that we're to be working on ourselves and examining ourselves and allowing the Scripture to show us where we stand. And one of the ways, and one of the main ways, is what we've been looking at for the last month or two or three, however long we've been in this section, is that where to make every effort to add to our faith? You have gotten fullness in Christ, as remember at the beginning of our study. You've received fullness in Christ. Now, because of that, begin to work out what God's put in. Add to your faith gentleness, kindness, so on, all these things. And so that's what we're looking at. And now the brotherly kindness, though, in order to manifest this, in order to stem the tide in this day in which wickedness will increase and abound and people will treat each other worse and worse and think we understand that correct I mean we do see it happening it's getting worse and worse in order for that to, to not happen in the church in order for us to start allowing Christ to manifest his brotherly kindness through us there's some things we need to understand the first thing I want you to understand is this whether you realize it or not you need each other go to 1st Corinthians chapter 12 1st Corinthians chapter 12 yeah go right ahead it's not just the Baptist. Well, not all Christians believe that. Well, agreed. There are those that don't believe that once saved, always saved. But what's your question about My that? My question is that if this is true, once saved, always saved, mm -hmm. then in Hebrews 10, chapter 25, mm -hmm. it says that even after you've received yep. this knowledge... I, no, no, because of the time in order to answer your question, go back to the website... Click on that exact section on the website where I taught fully on that for an hour in our study of Hebrews. And I'll an answer all of that because it's a long answer to that question. And so if you go to, yeah, I know exactly. What is that saying? Go to that pass, go to, go to our website, go to the section where the study's on Hebrews. It'll show you Hebrews chapter 10 in that section. Click on it and listen to it. It will answer that question. Now, the Bible is very, very clear that the Bible says if, if the Spirit of God has come in, he never leaves. The issue, though, and we'll get to that when we get to the end of our study tonight, is did the Spirit come in? All right, and that's what we're going to be looking at. So if you, to answer to your question, because of where we need to go tonight, go to the website and it will answer that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verses 12 through 26. It says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And here is Paul's dealing with spiritual gifts. He brings out this picture here as well, that in the body God has designed. By the way, has any of you ever stubbed your toe? Or have any of you ever lost a fingernail and then tried to tie your shoe? The parts that you think aren't that big of a deal, 
just try living without them. In the same way, for you to understand this brotherly kindness and allow it to be manifest, you need to understand you need each other. We need each other. One of the things I do when I travel and speak in all these different churches is I go out of my way to go to the sound guy in the sound booth and talk to them and say to them, I just want you to know how much I ahead of time appreciate what you do because these people could not hear me unless you're doing what you do. Secondly, I also realize that nobody really appreciates the sound guy and nobody even notices the sound guy unless he makes a mistake. And then everybody goes, whoop, and they look back at you. I said, let me just tell you ahead of time, if it all goes well, I know it's because of the gifting God's given you. And you get deer in the headlights because they're not used to anybody coming up and talking about Yeah, exactly. <laughs> their gift mix is not people. Their gift mix is, is machines, and they don't want to... And folks, let me just tell you, you don't realize the value of those who come and bring the food. You know what I'm saying? Those whose job is to come and set the chairs up or to clean the tables. There's a need for everything. In order for you to be able to really manifest brotherly kindness, you have to first understand you need everyone. And I've come to realize over the years, even though I'm just a preacher, I can't do what I do if it weren't for people like Chris and others who take care of my website so I don't have to worry about it. People like Chris Fadden who take care of the finances and Betty as secretary and, uh, and others. I could just list all the people and people that come to me and they say, well, what about this? And I'll say, don't know. How many people are on the cruise? Couldn't tell you. I don't know. And praise God, I don't have to. And it works better when you all do your parts. But you need to understand you need each other. The second thing I want you to understand is this. Another part of letting brotherly kindness be seen is to avoid animosity. You actually, the Bible says, have to work hard at not letting it take root. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Becky and I, like I told you, just got back from uh, a week, a little over a week, of traveling with almost 100 people. When you travel in a herd, you step on each other's feet. And it was awesome to see what God does as you live in community. But it was also a shaping time for all of us as different personalities had to live with each other for a week. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4 verses 29 through 32 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Now there's a couple things in here I don't want you to miss. If the scripture is saying to get rid of it, it means it will show up. All right? It's going to happen. You and your wife or you and your husband are going to have fights. If you say, oh, we never argue. Somebody's lying or you've only been married for a minute. <laughs> All right. It will happen. And the scripture says you also need to be forgiving each other. You're going to need forgiveness and you're going to need to manifest it. A part of brotherly kindness is going out of your way to avoid animosity and not, as the scripture says, give Satan a foothold. That's why we're not to go to bed angry. Because when you go to bed angry, you wake up in the morning even more angry because you laid there all night thinking she should have said something. She should have come and apologized. And she's saying, well, he should have. If he really loved me, he would have come and apologized. And now you don't even remember what you're mad about, but Satan's got a foothold and you're mad about something else. Folks, you know full well, when you have friction amongst your family, your tendency is to what? Stop talking, pull away, isolate yourself. Becky and I learned this. Becky, I, I, was, I was so blessed by God to be a preacher long before I got married. I had the privilege of learning as God had me in positions to shape people and give counsel. And people would come to me with their marriage struggles or their kids. And I hadn't even been married yet. Or I wasn't even having any children. And here I was because I was called pastor. I hadn't made, hadn't made bishop yet. But, uh, but uh, I'm glad you laughed. Thank you. I, uh, I, at that point, I had to dig into the scriptures to be able to give counsel. But doing so taught Becky and I a lot of stuff. And one of the first things we learned 
from watching people's marriages and looking at scriptures was we set out from day one that when there's a disagreement, it's against the rules to say we're not talking. Now, listen closely. That doesn't mean that we dealt with everything right away because sometimes you need a cooling off period so the Holy Spirit can guide your words. What we would do is we would set a timer. In those times when we hit it hard and we would not want to talk to each other, or one would say, well, I'm leaving, and we'd say that's against the rules. All right? At 4 o'clock today is when we'll come back and deal with this. You understand? And that helped us deal with those things. We got time alone to pray. And as we came back together, God would work things out. And unfortunately, she won most of the time. But look at Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. Yes, dear works good. Yeah. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 15. Paul says in verse 15 of Galatians 5, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Why is Paul writing that to the church? Because Christians eat their own. Yeah, Christians eat their own. Well, actually, everybody does. And that's why, but that's why we have to begin to add to our faith brotherly kindness. Folks, this is going to take work. This is going to take work. You need to know how to rely on the Holy Spirit and allow Him to manifest this through you. But you can't go on anymore with, I'm only supposed to love them, I'm not supposed to like them, or I just... No, you've got to make sure that the Spirit of God intentionally pursues your brothers and sisters with the intention to love them. And we're going to get to that in a second. But right now we're looking at brotherly kindness. There's a third way to show brotherly kindness. And that is to actually show physical kindness to each other. Look at, you're in Galatians. Look at chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It says in verse 9 and 10, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And we're going to end with that tonight. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the what? The household of faith or the family of of believers, the relationship that you've been put in, the family you've been put in as Christians, you are to not just, this is more than kind words, folks. This is kind actions. And so, in order to allow brotherly kindness to manifest itself through us, we need to understand we need each other. We need to intentionally fight against animosity. And we need to physically manifest this kindness to each other. It's more than just thinking kind thoughts. It's actually going to someone that maybe you don't have it. Uh, it's easy. It's not easy for you to show kindness to them and actually blessing them with a gift. And, and go ahead. I saw a hand over here, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Allison, go ahead. Um, Eleven says just how important it was. See with what large letters I am writing to you in my own hand. Yeah. Well, well, well. The, the reason he did that was he would usually have someone write the letters. In this part, he, would, he signed it, and he was writing it with his own there at the end. Uh, years ago, there was a man in the church who uh, was abrasive. But, and, and to be honest with you, there, there were people that just could not stand him. And whenever he spoke up in Sunday school class, everybody would roll their eyes. They would avoid him. He, he, he thought he was righteous and everybody wasn't. And he, he thought he had God figured out and no one else knew God like he did. And he had God broken down into formulas and systems and he would espouse his beliefs and his systems. And this man um, ended up getting cancer. And it rocked his theology. It rocked his systems because he thought sure that God was going to heal him because he had God all figured out into his, in his how God works. And if you just do this, God will do that. And in this man's dying of cancer, he came to realize who God really was and the fact that he was wrong. But one of the turning points was when someone who could not stand this man in the church gave this family a car. They needed one. And this man gave him a car. And it began to change the heart and the attitude of this individual and people's attitude toward him. And when he died, this man literally stood up at his funeral and said this, I could not stand this man when I first met him in this church. And literally, there were times I wanted to punch him in his face whenever he spoke. 
But God convicted my heart that I am to show brotherly kindness. And he didn't tell everybody, but he was the one who gave that family the car. And it began to change in that man's heart. It began to change in the family. And as God did his work, they became best of friends. Folks, I'm telling you, uh, when I was pastor in Chicago, one of the deacons in the church, within six months of my being there, told a group of people in his little meeting at his in his living room, I'm going to run Jim Johnson off. Word got to me. I was young. I was barely 30 years old. I'd never been pastor before. I'd been youth pastor. I'd been associate pastor. I'd never been senior pastor. And God moved me up to the cold north of Chicago with me and Becky and a little baby, Nicole. And we didn't have any family or any friends. And now here I am, brand new pastor. And I heard that this longtime deacon's going to run me off. I sat in my office and I cried. And as I was praying, oh God, he's going to run me off. What am I going to do? God began to speak my heart and he said, this is the best thing ever happened to you. First of all, look what it made you do. It made you turn to me. Then God said something that made me chuckle. He said, don't you pray that he dies. <laughs> he said, because even if he does, I'm going to send someone just like him to keep you right here. And then God said, I want you to love him. And knowing that this man was phony to my face, Knowing that this man was out to get me, and his whole family was at the time, I began to show kindness to this man. And Becky knows who I'm talking about. They have been to visit us, just to come visit us, and been in our living room, and they're best friends. God will do an awesome work to, for his glory so that the world will see through brotherly kindness. Folks, you got someone that pushes your buttons? Pray. And then ask God to show you how you can do good deeds for them. I'm sorry? Heavenly sandpaper. Heavenly sandpaper. Exactly. Oh, by the way, those of you that have kids, don't you always tell them, hey, don't you know that you reflect our family when you go out and... You ever, uh, there, there's a, a book I, I read recently, uh, actually a while back, a friend of mine gave me, and, uh, and the father, whenever he'd drop his kids off at school in this book, would always tell them, act like a relative. <laughs> in other words, remember you're part of our family and you reflect on our family when you go out into that school. Act like a relative. Well, your heavenly father says the same thing to you. You have been put in God's family. And how you act toward each other and how you act in this world will reflect on your heavenly father. Act like a relative. Act like a relative. Let's go on to the next one here in the time we have. Let's go on to love. The next one, which is the last in our list of qualities here in 2 Peter chapter 1, is love. But it's, as you know, it's not the least of the qualities. We're not going to turn there. You know in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the what? The greatest of these is love. Now, the Greek word translated love here is the word agapao, A-G-A-P-A-O, agapao. We call it agape love. But the Greek word is agapao. Now, here's the problem. Here's one of the tricky parts with this word. Scholars have a hard time translating this word because they really can't find it in a lot of other Greek writings and a lot of other places, the only place you really find it really used the most is in the New Testament. And the best translation we can find is for this word, agapao, is the love of God or God's love. In other words, the only way we can really describe this word is to say this love is God's love. Not the love of God, meaning I love God, but God's love. It is the love that God manifests. Uh, well, go to 1 John chapter 4 and look at verse 8. You'll see that this word is used to describe God's nature. In 1 John chapter 4, back by Revelation, look at verse 8. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is agapao. God is love. This word love that we're looking at here, the last of the qualities, is a word which describes God's nature. Uh, this type of love, by the way, is not manifested in feelings, but in action. Look at verse 9 here. And this is how, we, we, how God showed his love among us. 
He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. Do you see that? It was manifested. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. God demonstrated His love for us in what? That He sent His Son. That he's, right, he's, that He died for us. This type of love is, first of all, the nature of God. It's God's love. It's who God is. It's also manifested through action. Uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He what? He gave. He didn't have a Philadelphia. He had an agapao. There's a difference. It's not a brotherly love. It's God's love. So when we're talking about brotherly kindness and love, there's a tendency sometimes for us to kind of put them together. But we're not putting them together because they're different. Now, they do kind of overlap. But I want you to understand, we're talking about agapao here. We're not talking about a kindness to a brother. We're talking about the love of God, a word we can't even really put into description. That it's just it is God himself and how he manifests himself. It's his nature. Now, God wants to demonstrate his nature this love to the world through us all right this starts with our family and then to the world so we're in first john look at let's just take this whole section in verses 7 through 12 listen to what it says it says dear friends let us agapao let us love one another for love comes from god everyone who loves has been born of god and knows god whoever does not love does not know god because god is love this is how god showed his love among us he sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. Jump down to verses 19 and 21. Or 19 through 21. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Well, when did he give us this command? Does anybody remember? I told you earlier when it was. In John 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room, A new command I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you're my disciples, by your love one for another. Now, the first object of this love, though, isn't man. We need to kind of clarify this because we could easily jump to we need to love each other with the love that God's given us and the love that God's demonstrated toward us. But the Bible actually says that man should be the second recipient of this type of love. Who should be the first recipient of this type of love? God. God. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now you've got to keep in mind as you're turning to Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to look at verses 4 and 5. God revealed himself to the nation of Israel through this man Abraham. He started a whole new nation with him. And God's plan was to reveal himself to this nation that he created through Abraham. And then through them to the whole world. So the world would know who he was and all. And in revealing himself to the nation of Israel, he gave them this command in verse 4 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Uh, go to jump to Mark 12 real quick and you'll see Jesus quote this passage. In Mark chapter 12 verses 28 through 31. I know I'm going to probably going a little too fast for some of you, uh, but I promise to get this section done before dark. So Mark 12, look at verses 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, no noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Then he goes on and says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first object or recipient of this agapao that we're to be manifesting is God himself. 
And that's why John says, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, you fooled yourself. Because if you truly have a love for God, you will love what God loves. You say you love God, but hate the people he created. Folks, I want to just be honest with you. This is personally why I, and I'm not making any judgments here, don't hear this way, but this is personally why I can't watch UFC. The fights, the fight clubs, these ultimate fighting that's happening now, and it's a big rage. I cannot watch two people bludgeon each other. I, I have a hard time personally with war games and stuff. I, don't hear me wrong. I believe the Bible says that God uses armies and nations to accomplish his judgment and all that stuff. But because of my understanding of the fact that we were created in the image of God, I have a hard time when I see man's inhumanity to man. Go ahead, Jim. Just one quick thing. <laughs> you know, we don't see necessarily the love manifested in the church. Could it, could it be primarily because in the second one you read there, we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. But the fact is, is that people don't really love themselves, nor have they entered into the love of God for themselves. So how in the world can you love someone else when really deep down inside, you don't love yourself, you don't love your actions, uh, your faith, your your identity with Christ is based on works, not on a, not on the cross. I, I just uh, I say that only because I was uh, really stumped with that myself. I would agree. It it all starts with our love for God. Yes. It starts with our love for God. In that, we then understand His love for us. And from there, we manifest that love to each other. But again, because like you say, and there's a whole lot, that's another whole study, another whole topic. Because of the fact that we have still tied works into our relationship with God, we spend more time judging ourselves on our works by whether or not we, we really understand what it means to be in Christ. But if you want to have this love manifest to others, you need to first love God. And when you love God, you're going to love what God loves. Plain and simple. You're going to love what God loves. What does this love look like? Well, you don't have the time to turn there, but you can write down your notes. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. You've been to the weddings. You know what I'm talking about. You know, love is what? Patient. It's kind. It doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. Now, I can be honest with you. In all my years of being a pastor, I would only read those scriptures if the couple that wanted me to read them gave me permission to explain that that was impossible for them apart from Christ. You know, it's really easy to put that on a plaque and say love is patient, love is kind. And then in our own human f nature and flesh, try to love each other like that. I say, hang it on your wall. You better hang it in every room of your house. Good luck with that. It ain't going to happen unless Jesus is in you. You can't do that kind of love because that's agapao, which is God's love. And oh, by the way, only God can love like that. Amen. You can't even love like that unless Christ is in you and Christ is loving those people through you. And we're going to get to that in just a second here. But love is patient and kind. It doesn't rejoice with evil, but rejoices with truth and so on. Keep in mind, it has been commanded by God that we are to love like this. So again, please don't say, well, that's the end of the list. We'll see if I get there. You know, this has been commanded by God. And so we need to be making sure that the Spirit is, is, uh, is being allowed to do it through us. We also need to keep in mind that this love is a fruit of the Spirit. Remember Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit within us is what? You could go on with the list, but the first one's love. That's the agapao again. So that, I want to encourage you with this. That means you can't love like this. Only Christ can love like that. So that means we have to obey God's will by yielding our will and letting God love others, him and others, through us. You have to acknowledge you can't love like that. And even though you're born again, even though the Spirit of God is within you, as you've already heard us talk about, there are those who are in Christ who aren't allowing him to love through them. That's why we have to yield ourselves and say, Lord, it is possible, though, because you live within me and I want you to manifest yourself. Therefore, I'm yielding my will in this situation and I'm believing that you will love these people through me. I'm going to take active steps in obedience to what you've said, but I'm trusting you for the grace to be able to do and to love like that. 
Now, folks, let's be honest. That we're, we're talking some supernatural forgiveness probably is going to have to happen in some of our relationships. We're talking some uh, supernatural patience is going to have to happen in some of our relationships. For us to even show brotherly kindness, let alone love, God's love towards some people in our relationships, in our families, in our different relationships that God's put us in. Uh, you need God, and I need God. Like you heard me say a while ago, back when that man killed those Amish children and the Mennonites, and those people forgave them. I heard people say, I could never forgive those people like that. And I say, neither could they. God did. And they yielded to God. So it's a command to love. And you can't do it. It only is a fruit or an evidence of the Spirit. So Jesus showed that when he was talking to Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yep. Yep. Go ahead. Where, well, where uh, Jesus the first two times asked uh, Peter, the agape, yep. and the, the uh, Peter answered all three times, phileo, mm -hmm. and, and Christ asked him the third time, do you phileo? Yep. He, it, he couldn't do it. Well, not until the Spirit came to indwell him, he couldn't do it. Exactly. Now, this fruit of the Spirit thing that I just touched on, though, is a wonderful transition to verse 9. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 9. We looked last time we were together at the fact that these qualities are supposed to be an increasing in measure. Don't expect perfection today, but examine the whole of your life. Is God manifesting these things? Are you seeing them little by little begin to grow in your life? But look at verse 9 of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. He's, it says this, it says, if anyone doesn't have them, he's talking about these qualities we've been looking at for quite a while. If anyone doesn't have these qualities, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. In other words, Peter says this, he says, look, if you as a Christian aren't manifesting these qualities in increasing measure, wake up. You don't realize what you've been given. Remember Jesus said, on that day, you'll realize that I'm in you and you're in me and I'm in the Father. On that day, you'll realize that the Spirit of God Himself is in you. You will be different. You're a new creation. You will be supernatural. Uh, in Colossians, let me read it to you real quick. It's from back from our beginning of this study. In Colossians chapter uh, uh, 2, verses 9 and 10, listen to what it says there. Uh, in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, which is God, lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. So nobody better say, well, I couldn't do this. That's one of those lies of the enemy. That's one of those strongholds he tries to build in our lives to convince us that we can't. Or never can. You in your strength and in your own flesh cannot. But because of Christ in you, you can. And so you now have to choose whom you're going to allow to be master. Whether it's the flesh or whether it's Christ within you. Jesus isn't going to control you like a puppet. He lets you choose whom you're going to serve. He lets you choose whom you're going to obey. And even though you, in the same way in which you had to choose to receive him for salvation and forgiveness, once he comes in, he still... He prods, he urges, he cajoles, he lovingly woos, but he doesn't manipulate because he wants our choosing of him to be in control, to be coming from our will and surrender for his glory. Go right ahead. Uh, Joe, I heard the other day Charles Stanley was saying the basis of sin is pride. Yep. So if you think about it, all of this is pride. All of it is pride. Exactly. Yep. And so... What I want you to understand is, is here Peter says, look, if you don't have these qualities, you've forgotten or you're, you're, you're ignorant or you're nearsighted. You know, you know, you can get, get, get your glasses fixed. You've been given something you can't see. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. All of this is possible because of Jesus living within you. But then he also needs to, unfortunately, but also true. He needs to talk about the fact that another possibility for the lack of these qualities is the fact that you aren't born again. Look at what he says in the next verse. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. 
For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can write this down and look at it later, but in 2 Corinthians 13, 35, Paul says it this way. He says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. And then he says this, is Jesus in you? Is Jesus in you? And then he says, unless, of course, you fail the test. He doesn't say examine yourself to see whether or not you're in your faith. Did you pray a prayer? He doesn't say examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Did you walk an aisle? He didn't say examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Were you baptized? See, a lot of people in our churches today will say, well, I, 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 uh, I uh, prayed that prayer when I was five years old. Or I prayed that I walked an aisle. I was baptized. No, 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 no. The question is, is Jesus in? Well, Jim, how's anybody going to know if Jesus is in you? I can show you how. We've been looking at it for two, three months. If Christ is in you, make every effort to add to what you say you have these qualities. If Christ is in you, they will happen. If he's not, you're going to be miserable and realize I can't do this. And you'll realize I don't have the spirit. That's why it's an overtime thing we'll be looking. Has there been a change? Has there been a, a manifestation of a radical, supernatural something that has occurred within you? And that's only happening if Jesus himself is in you. So he says, if you don't have these qualities, you're either saved and you don't realize what you have available to you, or you possibly never received the Spirit. If the Spirit's in you, though, you yield to him and let him go. And then what does he say? If you do these things, you will never fall. And you, when that, that means just simply, and not saying you won't make mistakes, it's talking about eternal security there. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember back in Galatians, it said, don't be weary in doing good. Because if you persist, what was one of the promises of brotherly kindness? You will receive a rich reward. So, as I put in my notes as we finish this section, if Christ is in you, you will see these qualities growing in you over time. And you will not only be secure in your relationship, you'll be richly rewarded when you're welcomed into heaven. Sounds too good to miss. Sounds too good to miss. And praise God, we finished this section. <laughs> but uh, we'll see you in a week as we take a look at the next section. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, I even realize now, as long as we stayed just on these verses, I'm overwhelmed by the fact that I felt like many times... We could go right back over them all again and see more. There's so much here. But thank you, Lord, that that's your spirit's job. It's not for me to accomplish in a setting or even in a whole study of this book. But you are to be just speaking to us through this word that's alive each time we get together and you speak to our hearts and challenge us. Father, I pray for everyone listening right now, whether they're in this room or whether they're listening online, Lord, that they would make their calling and their election sure, that they would know whether or not your spirit is within them, whether Jesus is in them. And Father, one of the ways as you've shown us to know that is the fact that these qualities would begin to manifest themselves as you live your life through us and we yield to you. And Father, I pray and thank you for the fact that you will show each one where they stand with you if they're willing to look and to listen and to ask. If anyone lacks wisdom, you say ask and don't doubt and you'll give it generously. And so Lord, I pray for everyone that's listening right now and myself included, that the world would see you through us as we receive you as savior and then you manifest yourself through us. Thank you that you're patient. Thank you that you're not grading us on a day, but you're grading us over a lifetime. Thank you that you're wanting these qualities to be seen in increasing measure over time. Thank you that you give us grace on the bad days or the bad weeks. But Lord, overall, may we experience the maturity, the moving on to maturity, the hungering for more of you. And may those around us receive the benefits and may you receive the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.